In Matthew 4.19, Jesus says, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Join us in this conversation as we discuss following Jesus, leadership, and doing life with others. Welcome to the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. Hi, everyone. This is the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast. I'm Mark Danzi, your host today, and we are talking to ordinary people who are doing extraordinary things. And Chuck McElroy is with us today, and he is an extraordinary guy. <laughs> we have known each other for years, and I've had a front row seat to his life. Uh, I know his family. We've traveled. We went to the Holy Land in March. That's you remember right. that? Yeah, I do. Great trip. Great yeah. memories. Yeah, it was a wonderful experience. Well, thanks for being with us today, Chuck. You bet, but I am uh, a little bit uh, overwhelmed by the word extraordinary. I'd say I'm more of the ordinary type. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm not giving you the credit for the extra. I'm giving God the credit for that, certainly. That's all of our story. But uh, Chuck, I know you're a retired uh, business guy. You've got a a beautiful family, and and I've watched you uh, in ministry for years, and I'm very excited for the people today to hear about what God's called you to do and how you're doing it. Um, but first, tell us a little bit about you. Uh, where did you grow up? I grew up in Texas. I'm the third of three boys. Um, actually, there was a fourth one that was, uh, I guess, stillborn when when my parents had him, and so I'd actually be the fourth of four boys. Ah. Uh, and I'm fortunate to have come from a long legacy of Christians. and uh, Your long grandpa, f- your yeah, great-grandfather. All the way back, as far as I can tell, and uh, grew up in a in a church home, in a Christian home, <clears throat> Um, my mom was very active in church. She was the superintendent of Sunday schools. Oh, you couldn't get away with anything. You? <laughs> You're right. You're right. But I did, unfortunately, veer, uh, veer off the path a few times, and uh, I got corrected. That's right what now. we really want to hear about today. <laughs> no, but anyway, kidding. I lived in Texas till I was about seven, moved to St. Louis, Missouri. My dad was uh, employed at Southwestern Bell, which ultimately became um, my employer, and oh, okay. uh, and so much of my childhood was in Missouri in the St. Louis uh, County area, and uh, and I was very active in church and um, very involved in choir and music and drama and you still uh, are I yeah. know you still love music <laughs> well it was one of the the gifts God gave me mm-hmm. and uh, so it's been a source of joy for me to be able to sing and be part of music I love music I, music speaks to my soul as I think yeah. it does to a lot of people and. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think uh, everybody everybody can make a joyful sound. And it's Do you have a favorite to... song when you think about wow. your Christian faith? And... I have a lot of favorite songs, yeah. but one that's right now on, on my mind is It Is Well With My Soul. Mm. I don't know, that, that, that goes deep to me. The old gospels are important to me. When I was a, a young child living in Missouri, we would travel to Texas because all of our family lived in Texas. Mm-hmm. And there was a period of time my grandfather uh, lived with us in Missouri. And of course, he liked to go back to his home state and he taught me a lot of old gospel songs, songs that you know we just don't sing in churches these days. Mm-hmm. And uh, and my mother also, all my family was musical. My mother uh, taught me some other gospel. So when I was a young teenager, I put together a gospel medley of my favorites that my granddad and and my mom taught me. And uh, still to this day, I play it. And people that are uh, certainly older than you, but more my age and uh, and older. <laughs> They just love to hear those old gospels. They speak to us. There's a lot of theology in those, there in those stories, aren't there? Yeah, yeah. yeah I, uh, I, I'm with you as well. I like all kinds of music, and um, I don't know what it is about music. It just stirs our soul. It does. Uh, and sometimes the words, when you're just speaking them, sound kind of trite. But when you put music with them, man, they just they just penetrate you deeply, don't they? And it brings us back, I think, to a point 
in our faith that for me was new and fresh and mm-hmm. relevant. And so you make that connection and it brings even more meaning, I think, in the words. Yeah, absolutely. Well, I know that you're a disciple maker. I know you're focused on um, investing your life in the lives of other men for the purpose that they will go and do the same. And so as Dallas Willard tells us, the problem with uh the decline of the church is that we've been making Christians, not disciples. And uh, so for a lot of years, I know that you were, like you said, you were raised in the church, you were a Christian man. Um, looking back over those years, uh, what do you, how do you feel like the Lord has used you? You know, it's amazing. Somebody once told me that our lives are like reading Hebrew. You can read from right to left. You can read from where you are and look back and see why things happened, how God kind of uh, took control of your life. But when you try to read from left to right, as we do with English, it looks very murky. You can't see very much. You keep asking yourself, well, why did this happen? Or mm-hmm. what's God's will for me next? Yeah, And that has been absolutely true in my life. Uh, I hmm. think all of my life has been preparation for the next stage. Mm-hmm. And throughout my life, um, you know, both in my business and in my uh, spiritual life, in my recreation, I feel like it's all been preparatory for the next stage. Hmm. It's kind of interesting about discipleship because I don't know that I really felt this call to disciple others, uh, even though I was very active in church. I was a f- faithful follower of Jesus well, myself. Sure, surely, somewhere back there, you heard the Great Commission, right? About sure. go make disciples. And, sure, and like, it, a, like a lot of other Bible passages, I thought that was meaningful. I just didn't feel that sense of it's speaking to me to go do that. Oh, like it's for other people. Well, do. or just it's kind of a, a useful piece of inspiration, but not necessarily a, a specific call. I don't know. I, uh, there's a lot of parts in Scripture that I think are beautiful. It's kind of like those old Gospels. You know, they're beautiful, but does it impel you to do something? Yeah. And uh, and what happened to me is that you know, I was I was actually working, uh, we're fast-forwarding quite a bit, but I was working in Taiwan, and uh, I was asked to come over there and, and run this business with the idea of selling it, uh-huh. and I knew we were getting close to that. We were having success. I'd come back in a summer before uh, I left Taiwan, I think it was 2010, and I decided to go to the Thursday men's breakfast. And uh, there, they, because I had been... This a, is a men's devotional breakfast? Yes, yeah. And, uh, and, and at that meeting, since I had been a bit of a stranger to the church, they asked me to, to talk about where I am and what's going on. And I happened to mention that I'm in Taiwan working in this business, but I know that's going to end at some point. And I'm really in a little bit of a season of search for what God intends for me to do next. That's you, right? You're always thinking about what's well, next. Well, a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, and uh, a pastor that was at that um, a breakfast uh, said, I know exactly what God intends for you. I want you to follow me over to my office. I'm going to just call him doctor. His initials are MD. You should have run. <laughs> <laughs> of course, that was you. And you took me into your office and gave me a book. I recall it was by uh, John Piper. I can't tell you the title of the book. I did read it. On Don't the air- waste your life. There you go. And, uh, and I read it on the airplane on the way back to Taiwan. But you said, I think uh, God has gifted you and is calling you to disciple other men. And, uh, and I let that kind of rest in my head for a while and, and prayed and meditated over that. And, you know, as I think about the various things I've, I've done in my life, and I have been so blessed. I mean, God is just, you talked about my family, uh, and I've talked about my parents and whatever, my children, my grandkids, the things I've been able to do uh, through my work and the impact I've been able to have 
at both at work and in people's lives, the things that really are most meaningful to me is mm-hmm. when I feel like I've been an instrument for God in making a difference in somebody's life. So all mm-hmm. that kind of resonated with me. And, uh, and when I came back from Taiwan, which was a couple of years later, I received an email from you saying, hey, I've been praying about you and would like to start a men's uh, group. Uh, you, I think you labeled it Christian leadership, uh, yeah. which was a little bit of a mask for becoming disciples. Oh, it's totally deceiving, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and I just felt like, wow, this is perfect timing, God. I mean, you have, you've put this in front of me right at the same time I'm ready to launch into yeah. the next chapter. And, uh, and, that, and that moved me in such a way that it all became real about our call to disciple others. That's really what we're called. And I think back on other things I did in my life, and in, in subtle ways, I was probably discipling yeah, others or absolutely. investing, but not in as intentional a way as I think I was being called to at that time. Yeah, it wasn't a transferable plan. Right. And uh, I think that's the difference. A lot of people kind of go and we'd say, wing it under the influence of the Holy Spirit and just show up and you know, and that's God can actually use that. He's yeah. he's that good. But when we have an intentional plan that's transferable, that's the best opportunity for for growth and multiplication, isn't it? Yeah, and I think we put in these blocks mentally. Uh, hmm. Either I'm not smart enough, I'm not knowledgeable enough, oh, particularly yeah. the Bible. Um, you know, it's it's going to be difficult for me to be successful here. We so we so much attach a result and success to our effort that. Hmm. And and I was encouraged to say, make yourself available. Go go out show and, and show up. I mean, we know that uh, Jesus did an effective job of discipling these ordinary men whose shoulders we stand on to this day. If they had not wow. done what he had charged them to do, you and I wouldn't have That's the faith right. we have. And And yet, I know I'm not Jesus, but he's with me. And, and yeah. what I've seen is I've been involved in leading um, is the Holy Spirit shows up and takes over often. And I just sit back and thank go, God. wow, this isn't something I thought about. Yeah, thank God. <laughs> well, you know, you talked about me tricking you um, into that Monday <laughs> thing. What I've found effective is in talking to men specifically, and I'm sure that this works with women too, is to put a group together for eight to 10 weeks, kind of a trial run thing, on, and then really invite them into the concept of spiritual leadership, how to be a leader in your home. I think discipleship, is spiritual leadership. And so a lot of people are interested in that because they don't really understand what discipleship is. Um, looking back over all your years, what did you, how did the word discipleship change for you uh, kind of in your pre-Taiwan years versus your post-Taiwan years? Well, I think discipleship probably for me before I got into being a disciple maker or facilitating these groups was really more of a, a faith, knowledge, acceptance of Christ as your Savior. And it didn't have a lot of action behind it. Wow. And now I think there is a do something yeah. uh, element to it. <laughs> and and the reality is, you know, when I got involved in doing this, um, there are people who are not going to respond the way you might want or like them to respond. And oddly enough, there are other people who will come before you that you didn't anticipate. Hmm. And so the idea that this is all going to be buttoned down, and I'm going to have the perfect plan, and this is how it's going to work. That just isn't my experience. Yeah. And and I guess that's been the case in business as well, but less so. I mean, in business, you tend to try to control things. And my my journey has has been my battle with 
surrender. And, you know, I, I tend to want to take control of things. I so tend you're to... the one that battles with that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm the only one, I'm sure. But, you know, I guess my own cockiness and arrogance and mm-hmm. and, uh, and dr- my drive causes me to want to go get these results. And if I can't get it, I got to do it a different way. And, yeah. and when you're discipling, I think you're re- really making yourself available and you're opening yourself up and you're saying, here's what's important to me and here's yeah. what can be important to you. And you allow God just to take that over and take Beautiful. a man's heart. So, yeah, I, I love what you're saying there. I mean, it, the image that's coming to my mind is like it's like you're building a spiritual greenhouse and you're creating the environment and all the necessary tools for then them to grow. Mm. But you can't make them grow. No, right? You can't yell at the little plant and make it grow taller. You just basically make sure there's water, make sure there's sunlight, make sure there's protect. And I think that's what a facilitator does. You make sure you bring the word. You make sure you pray. You make sure you're authentic and real. You talk about how the word translates into your life, and then let God do His work in the hearts of people. But you got to be faithful. Absolutely, you got to be faithful. Don't and, you? and what I found is, in these sessions that I would get together with people on, I was growing at the same time I was trying to help them and facilitate their growth. And it got to where I wanted to be there because yeah. I was getting a lot out of it. It's funny. I remember one guy in one of the groups that we were in said, "You know." What was said in this session is just so powerful. I wish we could record it and develop a podcast for it. <laughs> you may recall I mentioned this to you, and I remember thinking to myself, no, you couldn't do that because, you know, we have we have some fairly confidential things that are shared yeah. in, a, in a group session, and we don't want to get out to the public. And I remember saying to you, this idea came up, and you said, hold that thought because we're putting together a podcast oh, for wow. disciple makers. You know, you're giving me an idea about that. That would be really a cool experiment to just record a session, you know, and then just kind of put it out there for people to sit and be a fly on the wall to what an actual group does, Yeah, sounds like. If you could get past the concept, I'm being recorded, and let people just be themselves, you yeah. may have to edit if you needed to, some confidentiality. I, I just think once you get involved, once you you say, I'm in, I'm jumping in, God just does great things through yeah. these groups. It Call, calls us into the deep, doesn't mm-hmm. it? So tell us a little bit about your process, your groups. Um, you mentioned groups. You've got more than one. Well, I started after our Monday group got started. I, I thought when you started that Monday group, the whole objective was maybe spend a couple of years together and then launch. I thought we were going to be going in two-by-twos, and I was thinking, who in this group would I partner up with? And, mm-hmm. and uh, as that Monday group uh, kind of developed, and, and I sense this is true of many groups, not everybody feels that call to launch. They didn't have that sense of urgency. And I remember talking to you about, okay, so we've been at this for a year and a half now. Do I need to be thinking about the group I'm going to lead? And 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 you said, well, here's what I'd recommend. First, pray about the men in your life that you feel called to, to invite to something like this. And so I spent about six months. I wrote down mm. a lot of names. You and I actually talked about a That's few cool. names. But I spent about six months identifying people, people that I had known for decades. One guy that was in my first group, my Tuesday group, um, I worked for him when I was in high school. I painted wow. houses with, with this. He's a little bit older. And he's, he's still in my life and lives in Atlanta. And uh, and so all the way up through my business relationships, my, my neighborhood, uh, church relationships, people I just knew. And I have to say that I probably tended to uh, lean a little bit more on, on people who are very spiritually mature. Um, as opposed to going out to 
you know, people who were seeking and mm-hmm. didn't know anything. And as is the case, I guess, with a lot of people, you had some that said, no, thanks. You know, I sent the invitation out. I, just, I took a page. You didn't take it personal, did you? <laughs> no, I was disappointed. I don't know if yeah. I'd say I'd take it personal, but I was disappointed. Good. You but can't take it personal. No. The timing is up to God. Right. And and God's plan is perfect. And, mm-hmm. uh, and some guys came along and they lasted a few weeks and then they bailed. Mm-hmm. And you're disappointed with that too. Mm-hmm. But I ended up with the first group, I think I had 10 or 11 guys and six or seven of them stayed through. We wow. did, we did like you had done. Ten or eleven guys, that's yeah. huge. We, we started like you did with us on Monday with the Romans 12 study, which yeah. I think is a great foundational. Uh, Thanks, curriculum. Chip Ingram, for that Romans 12 study. <laughs> the, I use it all the time. Uh, or, or you Shout know, out okay. to Chip Ingram. Good. Uh, <laughs> and then we went from uh, to that to a, 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 a tool, growing tools or growth tools. Uh, um, yeah, by Charles Lake? Yes, by Lake, mm-hmm. yeah. And then we started into Training of the Twelve, which is a very long, detailed study. Uh, John Musselman redid A.B. Bruce's um, work from, I think, the 18th century. Or Yeah, yeah, that's right. It is a great, great You know what, what, we, what we believe, somebody may correct us, but we believe that from the Apostle Paul to A.B. Bruce, who was a Scottish Presbyterian, I'd love to hear his brogue, <laughs> uh, pastor... Uh, in the 18, 1875, I think it was, we don't have an exhaustive work written on what Jesus did with the 12, just the training of those 12. So think about it. From for that, That's a long time. That's 1,800 plus years, you know. And then him to come along and write that, uh, thanks to John Musselman, who I claim is my mentor, my mm-hmm. disciple, who uh, discipled me, who rewrote that in Eng- modern-day English, and uh, with a study guide and a discipling guide, it's four volumes. And like you, I've used that with several groups, and it's wonderful. You feel like you know these 12 guys intimately after this study, and you feel like one of them, don't you? Yes, and it's an in-depth study of the Gospels, and it shows what Jesus did, how he did it, Yeah, and you get such insights that I think... Yeah, one of the things I love about Scripture is when you read it, the Holy Spirit works on you, and you get new revelation of things you had not seen before, and truth just continues to be revealed. Yes, yes, yes. And John Musselman and A.B. Bruce, I think, do a great job in setting up a framework that describes how Jesus trained the Twelve. And, 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 and I use that because I think it's a really good tool, and I think being in um, the Word is important in any discipleship plan. But I don't think there is one plan. I, I'm, I'm very new at this, so I'm kind of learning as I go. But I don't know that there is just one plan or one process. But I like this one. I think it works well. But at some point, as we get into the training of the 12, we take a little bit of a break and we do faith journeys. And you have to, I think, you have to build an element of, of confidence and trust within the group uh, we did sign a covenant with one another. Now, help us understand, because Training of the Twelve is like a curriculum book that right. you read during the week, and then you come in and talk about kind of process it each week. By the way, if you're looking for that curriculum, you can go to the Jackson Institute uh, website, John Musselman, and um, he he sells them there, and uh, it's excellent. Uh, we buy them by the case uh, mm-hmm. and, and use them. But from that curriculum, you're talking about faith journeys. Now, what... Help us understand what you're talking about there. So a faith journey is really a, an individual's sharing of how God has uh, been a factor in their life. They start at birth, and they go to where they are today, and they graph uh, kind of the ups and downs, the inflection points of when they drew close to God, when they didn't, when, when, they, when they felt they were following Jesus, when they felt they were drifting. Okay. 
And and so we kind of take a little bit of a break and and there's a time, and I think as a leader, you probably need to kind of get a sense for the group. As I said, we signed covenants that we would not share confidential information. We yes. pray for one another. So important. We, we get to know each other. And then we launch at some point into uh, each man sharing his faith journey. And so they spend about 30, 45 minutes uh, them talking about their life. And uh, guys are generally pretty nervous about that. But once they get into it, they <laughs> yeah. can actually, you have, to, you have to kind of cut the talk down. You need to spend your entire session on this. And then you may have some questions, but you try to get your group to be quiet and listen uh, without interrupting so that they get through their faith journey. Yeah. But an amazing thing happens. The Holy Spirit kind of steps in because mm. as a man tells his story, yeah. Other men see their story in that story Embedded. also. Yeah, wow. And they realize my baggage, the issues where I have fallen short, I'm not alone. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to try to strengthen and encourage the other man. And mm-hmm. he's going to feel that. And he's going to strengthen and encourage me. And when that occurs, there is a, a almost a cement that occurs in a group. And then I think oh. the richness of your discipleship study and preparation really starts to bear fruit. So if if a group if you were leading a group out there and, and it still feels like it's kind of shallow surface and you wanted to take a deeper dive, your opinion is that faith journeys would do that deeper dive. For I you? think it's critical. I critical. think if you want to bond people to one another and get them energized to go out and disciple others, do faith. Well, what journeys. about what about a guy in your group who says, "Man, I'm not going to share my life uh, story with these guys." What do you do with that? He's not ready. You know, a man has to be ready. And I think when you do this, you probably want to start with a person or two that you feel is pretty sure about themselves, that they'll be open and they can say, here's what... When did you recommend the leader to go? A leader can go first. Okay, set the tone. Yeah, often set the tone. You know what I've found about that is, is if a leader will go first and be courageous and vulnerable... It gives permission for the other guys to do it. But if a leader gets up and spends 30 minutes on a whiteboard kind of charting their faith journey, um, and they talk in generalities, you know, and back in the 70s, you know, I did some things, and then uh, I went to the 80s, and (laughs) then everybody will talk like that, right? Yeah. But if you say, you know what, I failed morally here in 1981, and here's the story, and here's how God redeemed me from that, just like David, or just like Solomon, or just like, you know, Paul, whoever. Um, I agree with you. I think it sets the tone, the rhythm for other guys to be vulnerable. And in that vulnerability is where the depth and the connection happens. And the growth occurs. I, yeah, I think man, when we're that vulnerable. That is critical. Gosh, yeah. that is critical. And what's interesting is that in the Tuesday group, we've actually had a couple of guys come into the group that weren't. And a couple of guys that dropped out early, I said, in the very first few weeks, came back. And oh. so as they came back after we had done our testimonies... Uh, I, I, I let it percolate for a little while before asking them to give theirs. But before they gave theirs, I asked our group that had already given them to give a shortened version. Oh, you know, okay. We'd given 45 minutes. Now I asked them to give a 15 or 20 minute. Okay. And the ultimate objective is to get down to like a 30 second or 60 second summary. Because when you meet somebody mm. that doesn't really know Jesus and wants to know about it, you know, there's two ways I think that we prove <laughs> that Jesus is the Son of God. One is all of the reliable witnesses that we have the benefit of reading about in the Gospels who saw Jesus after he had been, they saw him dead on a cross Mm -hmm. and they saw him alive. But the other evidence is what's going on in our lives, in our lives and the lives of people we know. And that's as real to the non-believer as what stories you tell them. That's what they want to know. Yeah. And so the more we can do that, in a way that doesn't sound like church talk to them, but mm-hmm. sounds like life talk to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's how you start to spark a little bit of an interest to want to know God. Yeah, I, I agree. I have this humiliating story I like to share, and, uh, and I'll keep it really short. But 
I remember years and years ago, I was sitting with this young man at a Starbucks, and uh, he's now in Nashville, Craig McClellan. If you're listening out there, Craig, man, I miss you. But you taught me a great lesson. So I'm the spiritual guy in this relationship, right? I'm the older you know, youth pastor, and he's the teenager in high school. We're sitting at a Starbucks. I, I didn't know what we were going to talk about that night, and he seemed to be kind of quiet. So I went into my story of how I met Jesus. It's something I hadn't really practiced that much, or I hadn't been sensitive to how long it would take. I literally remember telling that story for like an hour, okay? <laughs> this poor kid, yeah, he's captive, he can't leave. <laughs> and he just sat there quietly and smiling at me look, like you are right now, looking at me. And at the end of it, I remember just kind of saying basically, and that's, you know, that's my story. And looking back on it, he didn't ask me for my story. <laughs> I just assumed he wanted to know. And at the end of it, his only comment was, you know, I thought he was going to say, Wow, man, God is awesome. You know, this is what he said. He looked at me as a 17, 18 year old kid and he goes, Wow, that was really long. Um, I have to go. <laughs> and I remember thinking, I'm a failure at this. So, chopping it to 30 minutes, being specific, intentional, I can only imagine that getting to three minutes or 30 seconds, that takes a lot of work. Yeah. You can't tell your whole story in 30 seconds unless you have worked on it, right? Yeah. And I'd say one of the things I battle, Mark, and it's been this way throughout my life, is that I, I unfortunately, my knee-jerk reaction is to tell. <laughs> my, uh, my default is to tell my stories. And I really think to be an effective um, facilitator, to be an effective disciple-maker, you need to use questions, invitational questions yeah, agreed. to draw a man in. Because at some point, their eyes are going to glaze over, their ears are going to shut down, they're going to think about other things that are going on in their life while you're droning on about your story. And I'm not saying that yeah. your story was, was very boring, but, <laughs> but in order to engage these guys, yeah. uh, you got to start with questions. Well, especially if you got five or six guys, right? Yeah. I mean, showing up and having story time with you know Uncle Chuck yeah. is uh, probably not exactly what's going to transform their life. <laughs> you might have one that listens. <laughs> <laughs> and it's you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So anyway, the, the Tuesday group has, uh, has now ceased. We've gone through the Training of the Twelve. We've launched these guys. And... Uh, uh, and I, I'm sad to say that there are one or two that are probably still out there drifting, and yet there are two of them that have set, set up their own discipleship yes. groups. And one guy is multiplying. Uh, we just fist bump. Yeah. And and one guy is uh, doing so in his Sunday school class. Yeah. He's kind of facilitating through that. I've had a heart for millennials, for the generation, not really my kids as much as maybe a half generation behind my kids. And I, I worry who's who's pouring into them, and so yeah. I've been praying over that. Well, let me let me stop you right okay. there, Chuck. Um, this I know where you're going with this, and this is a really good uh, place for us to wrap up this session and start into session two. So next week, I want you to come back. We're going to continue this conversation on how do you reach the next generation. Mm. A lot of people think that spiritual leadership is about their peers or so, and and I think that's where we all started. But how do you take your wisdom? And, and so we'll, I would love to um, to explore that. I think a lot of people are going to be very interested in how to do that. So if you're out there uh, listening today, please take away this concept of faith journeys in your in your group. I mean, doing a curriculum is wonderful, but if everybody can share their story in 30 minutes or so, and then I guess come back around and do another round in three minutes, or then do another round in 30 seconds, what happens at the end is these guys are now equipped to be witnesses, aren't they, to Amen. share their story? Thank you, Chuck. Thanks for being with us today. Thanks, Mark. I'm looking forward to next week. For more information, check out our website, 419disciplemakers.org. 
Join us again next week as we continue our conversation on the 419 Disciple Makers Podcast.